0: hey y'all this is sarah mel and this is phases of the womb podcast Today, we will be talking to Meredith, a former colleague at two different hospitals in Houston and in Seattle. And she is now a nurse midwife as well. So we'll be getting her perspective on some things. So I hope you guys enjoy. All right. So I'm going to have you introduce yourself, tell me your occupation and what state you're in. Okay. You can go now. Ready? Okay. Yeah. All right.
1: All right. So hi, my name is Meredith. I'm a certified nurse midwife out of Houston, Texas.
0: Nice. Oops, sorry. Okay. So I said previously on the intro that we previously worked together as labor nurses. So um, at what point in your career did you kind of get come to the conclusion that you wanted to go into midwifery?
1: You know, I realized I wanted to be a midwife before I went to nursing school. So I used to be in the military. Nursing is actually my second career. Mm-hmm. So I was in the Air Force and I worked in the hospital in the Air Force. I worked in the OBGYN clinic okay. doing outpatient. And it was the largest um, OBGYN clinic in the Air Force at that time. So I would see patients and... The providers that I would work with um, would be women's health nurse practitioners, and then um, there were some physicians, mm-hmm. and there was a couple CNMs. So I was like, "Oh, this seems, you know, pretty cool. I think I could see myself, you know, doing this." But I knew I needed to go to nursing school and mm-hmm. then go back to school again. So I knew it would be a long road. I always wanted to kind of see what would be a good fit for me. So I said, "You know what? Let me just go to nursing school. I'll do all the clinical." Mm-hmm. And we'll see which one I like right, best. right and I had a hunch I was gonna like OB the best, but I didn't know what asset of it. I said, okay, is it gonna be like postpartum is it gonna be you know labor and delivery mm-hmm. you know any partum mm-hmm. you know I really had no idea so once I made it through nursing school, I said, okay, I need l and d. I think that that's gonna be the best <laughs> fit for me right and I yeah, so that's what that's what kind of brought me to uh pivot me to um you know, women's health. And then as far as midwifery, once I was working as an L&D nurse, I said, you know what, what should I do? Should I do a women's health nurse practitioner or should I do midwife? And I think that basically I looked at the scope of practice for both and I saw, you know what, everything that a WHNP can do, a CNN can do. So why not just go for CNN? Yep. So okay. that's really what brought me here. And I absolutely love this field. I love what I do.
0: So curious. Um, so you, you worked in an OBGYN clinic. Um, so what, what made you decide, like, I guess more so along the lines that you wanted to do midwifery versus like, you know, working with OBGYNs? Was it like a decision amongst that or you just always kind of knew you wanted to go the nursing route and then that was just the end route? As far as like your
1: master's and stuff, it was it was definitely the nursing route for sure. Okay, um, because my mom she was a nurse and she was a um, adult health nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. So, but she kind of you know inspired me to pursue um, nursing and to uh, pursue advanced practice. You know, mm-hmm. obviously in a different role because I was more interested in OB and you know women stuff mm-hmm. versus her. She was um, an ER nurse that eventually did some ICU and some PACU and then decided to do adult GRO, nurse practitioner. Mm-hmm. So um, so really it was her kind of encouraging me, hey, you know, what are, which area are you're going to go into and then based on that, you know, which advanced practice degree are you going to pursue? Okay, okay. I felt, yeah, i never considered like going to medical school or anything like that, you know, because my mom kind of paved the road for me and yeah. gave me an insight in nursing.
0: Okay. All right. And then, um, so as a labor nurse, and then, um, I know you've traveled as well. So, I mean, I've worked in the South and then I've traveled and I've seen like the difference in the way people, I guess, view midwifery, you know, for example, like in the South versus on the (laughs) West coast is completely different. So like, what? What misconceptions do you feel like, I mean, I would say specifically that you've encountered um that you feel like are like the most common misconceptions?
1: Like between the south and the west
0: coast? I mean, just period, I guess. I feel like more they I feel like it's more so down here because it's not as you know prevalent, but Correct. just what common misconceptions do you find There's yourself hearing? So them? many
1: <laughs> misconceptions. I've had people be like, "Oh, so you're a midwife. Oh, so you do home birth." All day. Yeah. And I'm like, "No, I don't mm-hmm. do home birth." You know, most CNMs don't even do home birth. A lot of them do in-hospital birth. Though yep. we can do home birth mm-hmm. and we can do birth center. Majority of CNMs work in hospitals. Mm-hmm. That's just just how it is. That's what people choose to do <laughs> for whatever reason it may be. I have people That they like, oh, well, when are you going to go back to school to be a nurse practitioner? And I'm like, baby, I am a nurse practitioner. (laughs) I am an advanced practice nurse. But I think because, you know, certified nurse midwife doesn't have, like, certified nurse midwife practitioner or something like that, you know, a lot of people... Um, that are not medical, they are very confused. They're like, oh, so you can write. I had a friend just the other month. She's like, you can write prescriptions. So I was like, I'm an advanced practice nurse. Yeah. I'm an APRN, baby. I don't know what you thought I was doing. But <laughs> I you, I'm an APRN. You know, I, I promise I did not go through all this school, right. you know, um, for nothing. So um, they're just like, oh, I, I just guess I didn't understand it. So I feel like that's a big misconception. Mm-hmm. And um, and then other people, they seem to think, oh well, you, so you can take care of um, you know the baby. They think we take care of only the baby. Mm-hmm. I said, no, it's mostly the mom, and that we can take care of the baby, you know, up to 28 days of life. Right. right. But a lot of in hospital midwives, especially in the city and whatnot, they're not doing um, a lot of the newborn care. I've noticed. Mm-hmm. You'll see that you know more in um, CNMs that work in hospitals, maybe in a rural area. Yeah.
0: Because I, I feel like typically people don't have a lot of access, too, to, like, multiple pediatricians, multiple providers. So you kind of group all of your care together, um, especially in rural areas when you have to drive, <laughs> you know, a bunch of places yes. to go places. But um, I feel like people don't even realize, like, when they, I feel like people hear the term midwife and just be like, oh, you know. It's not really like a medical thing. I get the midwife doula yes. thing all the time, but I'm like, y'all realize how long I've been in school? <laughs> like yeah, I went exactly. to undergrad, I had to go through my bachelor's and then I had to get a master's. Like I've been in school, like I promise you, like I'm an APR. <laughs> yes, yeah, so they just have no idea. And you know
1: what, another thing I got um, uh, several months ago, maybe at the end of last year, um, I had a friend. She's like, "Oh, girl, I won't be seeing you. I'm not having any more kids." I was like, "Well, we we do more than right. prenatal care and birth. Yeah, and postpartum, you are aware of that, right?" And I was like, "I do well woman exams, STD checks. Mm-hmm. I can put in IUDs and Explanons. You know, we can do all that type of like, writer's script. You know, BV, yeast, any yep. of those issues. I can manage. You know, basic, basic. You know, um, like depression." basic Mm -hmm. hypertension Mm -hmm. um that requires you know maybe one medication you know things like that i do wellness panels she's like oh my gosh i didn't know you could do all that (laughs) i'm like well (laughs) trust me uh, we can do it all Uh, trust me so um so yeah i I love spending you know the time to educate people more about our role you know in our profession about what services we can offer because i find that most people um, they think it's just all, you know, if they either think we're a doula, they think we mm-hmm. only see people that are pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, or they have no idea that we're advanced practice nurses. Yeah.
0: Or think they can't, even if they see you in the hospital, they think that they can't get an epidural too. That That's another thing I get like, oh no, I'm not seeing a midwife because I want an epidural. And I'm like, you can do both. Like, Yes, you can you do You can both. do both. Yes. But yeah, I feel like there's just so much that people don't know and I I also I, I wonder if it's like we have so many different levels of midwifery you have lay midwives you have you know practical midwives you have all these different things and nothing is really standardized you know people just use the term midwife and people are like well what exactly do you do what can you do what can you not do and I don't know. I just, I don't really know how, I mean, outside of, you know, doing the stuff that I do on social media, I don't, I don't really know how we kind of start shifting people's mindsets around around midwifery, you know?
1: You know, it's definitely an uphill battle for sure because there's so many different types of midwives and um, certification or, or licensing, you know, schooling, education requirements. For all these different types of midwives it can be very confusing mm-hmm. um for most people that are not familiar with our profession yeah um you know there's a lot of cpms they usually do you know home birth or birth center mm-hmm. um and their training is different from ours you know because they're not nurses for right you know right. our training is different from theirs and mm-hmm. so people are like well what's what's the difference you know people have no idea. I remember when I was looking for someone to train me for um, for school. I was looking for a preceptor to train me on births, and I had a friend that lived um, in the um, Dallas area. She's like, I met this lady, and um, I think she'd be a great fit for you to train you. If you could come up here and do your clinicals there, and we could hang out also too. And I said that sounds great. Right. And I said, do you have like her information? I you know I would love to come up mm-hmm. here um, to Dallas and train and. She showed me her Instagram page, and she was a CPM. Yeah. And I, was like, oh, I, I was like, oh, she seems really nice, and um, she was very experienced CPM. Yeah. I was like, but, you know, unfortunately, credentialing with my program won't allow me to train with mm-hmm. her. She's like, well, I don't understand. She's a midwife, you know, and I had to explain to her the difference between this, the two certifications. Yeah. She's like, well, that's crazy. I didn't know that <laughs> there's all these levels, and, you know, she was all confused. And I was like, I know. I, I understand. It's very good it me. is and i was like if i could train from her trust me i would literally send right. her message right now i was like but i can't it's so different yeah so um so yeah a lot of people there's just so much confusion around it i, I don't know how we could clear that besides just you know doing our best to educate people mm-hmm. you know when the topic comes up i think that you know cnms and cpms We have um, similar, but, um, you know, overlapping, but different skill set. Yeah. And there are things that they are very knowledgeable about. And there's also things that we are very knowledgeable
0: about. Mm -hmm. I think, too, I mean, I I wish there was a way, like, I mean, I feel like midwives in general are few and far between in in the South to begin with. But, like, I wish there was a way that we can, like, start kind of collaborating and standardizing care because, like. So I had applied to this job at a birth center in, um, in Miami actually, uh, when I first graduated and. I was like, you know, I never, I mean, I've only worked in a hospital. I've only done labor and delivery. The clinicals were in the hospital. And I was like, I think it would be a cool idea. But like sitting there talking to like, it was a nurse midwife that was over it. But they also had like CPMs that um, did the deliveries too. And just listening to their workload. I'm not gonna lie. That that probably was the thing that turned me off. But I was just like, you know, just the workload of always being on call like she legit that's pretty rough it's in it's insane like she legitimately told me that you know you can just expect especially like the first month while you're in orientation to be pretty much on call all the time and I was like all the time every day and she was like well yeah because you know if somebody comes in then you know you go (laughs) like wait a minute
1: yeah (laughs) that'll work for me Big difference. Yeah, I and see so, you know what? And I that's why I have so much respect for the home birth, birth center, midwives, because a lot of them are on call twenty four seven. Yeah. And that is true dedication and passion. I respect it. Yeah. However, me, um, that's for me. Yeah. I, everyone's different, but yep. that is not sustainable Same. for me. But also, uh, you know, I am, um, you know, a newlywed, you know, I'd like to have children of my own. You know, mm-hmm. so they, I don't have any kids yet. And so seeing as that I'm trying to start my own family, I said, you know what, maybe I could do something like that later down the road. Yeah. But I think for now, I think it'd be best to start you know, in a hospital, mm-hmm. train, have a good established schedule right. um, where I'm not overwhelmed. Yeah. A lot of the CNMs or CPMs, any midwife, um, the midwives that I've seen, a lot of the ones that are older, mm-hmm. they do the home birth and birth center because they don't have littles to care for. Their kids yeah. are grown up, yeah. out the house. And um, it's just easier for you to just be able to, if a patient calls at 3 a.m., you know you need to get up to the birth center or to their house you know whatever right. it may be you can drop everything and go but when you have littles and stuff and you know your spouse has to work etc and you have to arrange child care if you don't have that support, you know, it puts you in a place where um, it's just, it's not sustainable. It's not, so I would love to do something like that later on in my career. You know, if I was able to, if I had the time, Yeah. but right now it is, that is a very big commitment. <laughs> that is a huge commitment.
0: I can see burnout me. being a thing, like a serious thing, because I just don't, I don't know. For me, like in one of my interviews I did, because I I think I did three interviews like right right out of school. Obviously, we know I took my time to go like get a job. But one of the main things like they asked me what was important to me in a job. And I said work like work life balance. I am not dedicated to working my butt off like I want to do my job and make the impact I can make while I'm at work. I do not want to take my work home. I want to have a life outside of work. Like, I love to travel. I agree. And but I feel like I you're, you're a better, better person. Way. I think you're a better yeah, person like that, you
1: know? You have to pour into your own cup yes. before you have enough energy to pour into others. Exactly. And I'm a firm believer in that. And I find that some people have a hard time establishing that boundary but before you know there's Sarah the midwife and right. Meredith the midwife you know there's Sarah mm-hmm. and you know and Meredith you know we are people outside of midwifery and so I think I firmly believe you know in a um, differentiating between the two
0: yeah for sure because I, I cannot
1: <laughs> like I'll be yes. feeling like
0: I'll be thinking about like you know like right now I'm for instance I've been doing this assignment at a clinic and the job is 8.30 to 5, Monday through Friday. Now, I know as a labor nurse, I am a 12-hour nights, three days a week type of girl. Like, and this is thoroughly reinforced that I am not a happy person come Thursday I know, evening and, you, and Friday. You told me you were working in the clinic. and girl. I, like, I know that the nursing you is a part of you is dying. Inside. Oh, dying. And like, oh. Dying. I start, I start a labor and delivery job on Monday. Like, normally between my assignments, I take like a week. Two weeks, three weeks, whatever off. I was like, nah, I got, I, I gotta get. Back. Like, I don't feel like, like while I do stuff at the clinic, I don't, I personally don't feel like I do what I, I like. I like to move, I like to do, I like to critically think and do stuff, and then I also like to be able to go work out, you know, three or four times yes. a week. And I'm like, I get off at five. I got to clean up, I got to cook, I got to eat, and then it's like eight o'clock, and then I got to get up and go back to work. Oh, absolutely not. I don't know how people on call 24-7. I I cannot. I I can't. Like, how do you plan your life? How do you plan vacations? You can't do it. I can't live like that. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I I can't do it either. That's why I was like, I know for sure I need a good work-life balance and i feel like a lot of younger people are starting to see that yes especially you know the millennial the gen z crowd they're saying okay i saw my you know baby boomer parents or maybe gen x parents you know work themselves to the bone yeah and do overtime and etc so they're just like you know i don't want to be like that i want to work but i want to be able to say okay it's the end of the day I'm not answering any more calls. I'm not Mm -hmm. answering any more work emails. Like, this is it. And I'm done. Put yourself first. Mm -hmm. And I love that for us. Because I think we all deserve that.
0: Agreed. Because I think that's when you start to see, like, you know, when you see these providers um, in the hospital who are very, like, nasty and You could tell they just kind of do stuff just to get it done, not necessarily like going above and beyond. And I'm like, I wonder if they started off like that or if they've, you know, dedicated all of their time and all of these years to just doing this and not pouring into themselves. And that's how they got here. And I'm like, I never want to be that. I like I love doing what I do, like six, seven, however many years later, I love Labor and delivery. I love doing what I do; like it's my passion, and I don't ever want to lose that. And I feel like taking a break sometimes helps.
1: You know, it's it's absolutely required. Yeah, it is a requirement to take a break <laughs> because that burnout is real, and people are always talking about healthcare provider burnout, mm-hmm. nurse burnout. You know, even you know, midwifery burnout. Um, I was talking to one of the midwives where I currently work and she's been doing this literally longer than I've been alive. (laughs) And she said that a lot of midwives burn themselves out early. Yeah. Yeah and i said no way are they really like in the hospital you know with this good work-life balance because we have a good work-life balance yeah and for sure she said you'd be surprised she's like a lot of midwives will do about five years or so burn out mm-hmm. and leave you know or they'll maybe have a kid or two and then you know choose to basically be a stay-at-home mom and then leave and then they yeah. won't come back to midwifery and i said i had no idea because i haven't met any you know like that as of yet but she said it is a real thing. And she said people get basically like a birth burnout. You know, hmm. you get having to take care of um, of women and like you're trying to help someone. They're non-compliant. Yeah. Um, you know, things like that. And I mean, everyone has the right to choose what is the best care for them personally, mm-hmm. of course. I'm talking about some, you know, unsafe things. Yeah. they choosing not to do certain things because of their beliefs or whatever and um it ends up being unsafe you know having to transfer care to a physician mm-hmm. you know things like that she said you know it, after a while you know it takes a toll on
0: you yeah and I mean I could definitely see that I've, I feel like I've just as a nurse been some I mean you know it's real easy to chart patient refuse but I just feel like you know especially when you're like dedicated and given all the options and given all the risks and benefits and you know like you know you got a strip going and you're like that does not look great that baby is not gonna look great when it comes out and they be like no I'm not doing this no I'm not doing that and it's like I 100% advocate for people making an informed decision but you being that care provider having a watch what you kind of already know is going to happen and allow somebody, you know, not really allow, but, you know, kind of give people that space to make their own decision. And you got to sit there and watch it because I've been in situations where I've watched a strip go go to hell. And it's it's like, no, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I'm like, you got the right to choose. That's fine. But this is what's happening. People are like, no, I don't want to do it. And you just sit there and it's like, well, damn, you know. How does liability work in that situation? Because as the nurse, you don't necessarily have to worry about that too much. You kind of cover it with how you chart it, right? But as the provider, how does that even factor in? You know, I just feel like that's it, tough. Uh,
1: it's, it is tough. Uh, we um, had a situation that was described to us, um, me, and there's another new midwife in my practice as well. So um, there was a case study um, described to us in which they said they had a patient that was, you know, term pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And she was pre, she had preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. And her blood pressures were, you know, very high, um, mm-hmm. you know, within severe range, like, you know, over the 160, over mm-hmm. 110. Yeah. You know, that's usually the threshold for severe. It was over that. It was exceeding that. She met all of the diagnostic criteria, you know, her urine, everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they, um, wanted to transfer her care to the to you know um a physician right because at this point you know it's it's high risk yeah and she refused and then she was refusing you know medications like to bring her blood pressure down and I was like this sounds very scary you know and so they when they were explaining it to us they were saying hey um you know what would you do in a situation like this Mm -hmm. I said gosh I I I don't even really know I mean I know the steps how to manage it, but ultimately, you know, you're teetering a line where a patient's refusing care uh, or treatment that mm-hmm. you know is highly recommended. You know, she could have a seizure. Right. This could lit very bad. And yeah. So um, the midwife, she kind of you know went over it with us, and she said, if you had something like this happening, you need to document mm-hmm. that. You know, you explain the risk and benefits mm-hmm. of the situation and you know that basically despite you you know explaining these the patient has chose to you know forego this treatment they've been made aware of what could possibly happen Mm -hmm. she's like document all of it yeah try to see if there's a certain reason why they're refusing you know maybe is it is it just uh, a miscommunication do they just not understand how severe it is Mm -hmm. or are they you know just choosing they they understand they're choosing to still forego it she's like make sure you have a clear understanding of why they're refusing it. Yeah. Document it. And that's all you can do. You cannot ever, you know, force a patient into anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think understanding that why it makes a difference, too. Like now that you say that, because I mean, there are re- like I've had people like I'll recommend something to be like, I don't want to do that. And, you know, your first thing to do is be like, okay, patient refused, whatever. But, I, you know, once I started doing like um, clinicals and stuff, asking the question, like, you know, why? Like, what is it that you like? What's the reason why a lot of people just don't even understand the reason why, you know, you recommend stuff. And I think that just goes into, you know, just being able to explain stuff to people better because people just don't. A lot of a lot of it is fear because people don't understand, not necessarily that they don't want to do it I mean you have those people that just like hell no I'm not doing nothing you say but um a lot of it is just people don't understand the reason why like why is it important like what will happen if I don't you know I don't know yes it's- and
1: that's where good patient education comes mm-hmm. in cause you've got to make sure they understand hey your your blood pressure is very high I'm highly concerned mm-hmm and I am uncomfortable yeah. with what, uh, what I'm seeing on this monitor. So I, you know, strongly recommend, you know, that we manage it, you know, with this, this and that, and, you know, and this is why. Yeah. And also if we do nothing, you know, this is what could possibly happen.
0: Yeah. And I think too, um, I've seen a lot of things where people talk about how, you know, providers try to scare them into doing stuff. Um, I mean, I have some, watched some providers basically like just say just to get somebody to my a section. Like if you don't do this, your baby gonna die. But I think sometimes in situations specifically like that, you have to be like real blunt about, you know, what can happen and what can be the ultimate, you know, like the worst thing that can happen. Like I need you to have that in your mind, like not to scare you, but like to know that it is a possibility, you know, cause that's not, that's nothing to play with. People don't realize like your blood pressure is not supposed to be that high. It's just not like that. I don't know, man. I don't know.
1: Yeah. That, it's high. Yeah. I think that it's important that they understand and, you know, you have them, you know, I even asked um, when they presented this case study to me, I said, when it's, you know, uh, very critical like that, would you, you know, have the patient sign a document stating, you know, that they refuse care? Mm-hmm. Of, you know, of, or for, you know, whatever it may be, or do you just document it in the note? She's like, oh, you, know, you just put it in the note, you know, but, yeah. um, having a, a, basically a decline, like a consent, you know, saying that I decline you know xyz yeah you know i've been made aware of the risk and etc because they do it for other things mm-hmm. i said that would be a good consent to have a hundred percent yeah because the last thing i mean this is america i mean everything's all about like litigation yeah. lawsuits etc so it would be nice to have something like that i mean i hope you know lord forbid i never have to have a patient sign anything like that and they're in you know a critical position you know yeah. like this case study was but I mean, wow. It's just, you want to provide, you want to help people and help guide them to make the best, Mm -hmm. um, health decisions, you know, for themselves, you know, for their baby, for their family.
0: Yeah. And we had, I mean, it wasn't that extreme, but we had a similar situation. I think I talked about it on another episode, but, um, when I was in clinical, we had a woman, she had, she had previously had home births. Um, she was planning on having another one in like unassisted, just her her husband, um, She was older, um, high risk for hemorrhage, just based on her history. Um, But she came to all her prenatal visits, went to all, you know, whatever was recommended, she did it, but she was very adamant. I birthed at home with no problem. I'm gonna birth at home. But she, it was like, so my my preceptor said too, you need to document that you explained each time, you know, you can do whatever you want. But if this is gonna... If, if this is your plan, this is what I recommend you do. You know, so she gave her alternatives. Like, you know, you're a high risk for hemorrhage. Once baby comes out, everything's fine. Put baby on the breast immediately. If anything looks like it's going crazy, you need to have, you know, the ambulance on standby, ready and waiting. And like she did all of that. Like she made sure, like she had contacted whoever the ambulance people were. She contacted the fire department she knew which hospital she would go to if anything happened like she had it all set out so while we you know we're charting just to you know if anything bad happens she also educated her and was like you know obviously this is the the decision you're gonna make right which is fine but let me give you the tools to do this safely too (laughs) so I thought I thought that was yeah I thought that was amazing because at the end of the day like like we say, people gonna do what they want to do regardless. You get what I'm saying? Like, and at the yes. end of the day, they have the right to. It's their bodies. Um, yes, it is her
1: body and it's mm-hmm. her choice. And I'm yeah. a firm believer in that. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, this, these are folks' lives and children. You know that we're that we're playing with. Yeah. We're playing with, but we're taking care of. Yeah. And you know, I don't play with people like that. Mm-mm. So um, you know, I would have given her the tools that she needed.
0: Yeah. But I, I mean, I've seen some providers that would have been like she doing this. I'm not taking care of her, you know, and I I, I think that's that's just a disservice. And it's not necessarily like you're I mean, certain situations, I get it because people just like patients can dismiss you from their care. You can do it the other way around. But I think instead of just dismissing her because you don't necessarily agree with her decision at least giving her tools to work with because it wasn't that she was like non-compliant either like she came to all she didn't miss one visit and if she couldn't necessarily come in she made sure she scheduled like a, a virtual visit she made every single visit any ultrasound she needed she did that you know what I'm saying? Um, she even came to our postpartum visit and brought the baby. <laughs> so she was coming. Wow. She just wanted. She had delivered at home. She wanted to deliver at home this time. And she was like, we have the tools. We've done it three times. Like, we know what we're doing. Um, you know, what else do you think I need to have? Whatever. I have all of this stuff. And she was like, but I'm still having a baby at home. And it turned out great.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm so glad that turned out well. Right, is- right. Very inspiring story.
0: Right? All right. So the last thing um, I wanted to ask you, so, you know, working in labor and delivery and then traveling and working with different providers and having all these different experiences and now that you're practicing as a midwife, um, how do you intend to like, I guess, incorporate all the different experiences you had into, you know, providing the best care you have, like, that the best care that you can, I guess, as a a midwife, just to, you know, bring midwifery into, like, a bigger light,
1: I guess. You know, I worked at quite a few different hospitals as a labor delivery nurse. Mm-hmm. I think about seven mm-hmm. or so. I'm sure you've worked at more because <laughs> um, uh, you were traveling for longer than I did. But yeah. I try to take the best pieces from each hospital that I've worked at, um, whether it's certain um, things that they do, certain processes that they do, whatever it may be, I try to take a little bit from each place that Mm -hmm. I went to and basically combine all of that and try to provide a really good experience, you know, for my patients, you know, where I'm currently practicing as a CNM, Mm -hmm. Um, even things from like um, certain positions, position changes. Um, you know, intermittent monitoring mm-hmm. some places don't do that. Others do, mm-hmm. um, monitoring systems. I know, um, when we were working in the Seattle area mm-hmm. at the hospital together, they had a really nice monitoring system Yeah, there, the wireless yep. one in yep. every room. And I was like, this is it. Girl. This is the top. I walked on that unit. Right
0: I said, Oh, I like this.
1: <laughs> yes. And so anytime anyone else, I'm like, Hey, there's these other monitors. You may want to order them. Um, they're amazing, you know, because I know a lot of hospitals like, oh, we have wireless monitoring, but we only have like two or three. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, they're all being used at the same time. And so you can't guarantee that your patient that is wanting to go, you know, low risk, uh, mm-hmm. minimal intervention um, type of laboring thing um, can have that. Right. It's not a guarantee. Right. So it I would like fair. love to see, you know, things like that, like just little things like the different positions. And um, certain rules regarding, you know, the whole eating and drinking and labor thing. Like, mm-hmm. I try to bring the best of everything and combine it into, you know, the ultimate experience. Yeah.
0: And I think traveling definitely provides you with a much wider range of perspectives. And that's that's really the reason why I started traveling. I mean, I didn't know I wanted to do midwifery when I first started traveling. I kind of got got that idea once I started traveling. But I feel like I was seeing things within my hospital that was i'm not gonna lie i think if i would have stayed where i was here i would have burned out real quick because you see so Damn. many things that you can't do you know as the nurse there's only so much you can do just at you know it's so only so much you can do and it's like you know you see all of these things that are just not right and it's like i can't i can't like <laughs> i need to there has to be a better way everybody yes. can't be doing this you know Everybody cannot you be. You go somewhere else yeah. and
1: isn't doing that Girl. You're Like, oh my
0: goodness. I wanna say and when so- I when I went to California, it was my second year of travel nursing and um uh, <laughs> it was the first time I saw people increasing pitocin by one every thirty minutes. By one like yeah. something as simple as that. And like I had a doctor tell me like if they're adequately ripened, um, and they're, you know, wherever they need to be in, you know, whatever stage of labor, they shouldn't need more than six units of potosa. I said, child, I'd be in the south and they be going up to 40. Oh. And I'm like, six? Girl, I've worked some places where they be like, go up to 40. I don't touch 40. That's not my that's not my type of party. I'll get yelled at every day of the, every day of the week. To not go above 20. Because I'm like you want to take a pit break. You want to try something different. Because if we got to go up to 40. Clearly there's a problem. Something not working. You know. Wow that's insane. I don't think
1: I've ever. I think I've maybe went over 20 a handful of times. And they were usually for inductions. Mm -hmm. um, Where the patient was you know. Not in labor at all. Obviously Mm -hmm. it was being induced for a medical reason. Maybe it's like 37 weeks. Uh, you know, it's like for severe, um, you know, um, uh, blood pressure, right. so maybe it's for um, a really large baby, you know, or something right. like that. Mm-hmm. So. I find
0: like those are the people I'd have to go higher on. But I never went to Girl, It's wild. Just blow your uterus. That's what and that's what I'm saying. I'm like, and then they wonder why they have such a high incidence of hemorrhages or, you know, C-sections and, you know, non-reassuring fetal tone. Like it's all correlated, but it becomes such common practice in certain places that nobody even thinks anything of it. It's literally just like this is just how it is. Like, like little things like I worked um, at another place. I, I think I worked at like six or seven places in Houston, but one of the places I worked there, cause I don't like to name names, but my very first delivery on orientation while I was in midwifery school, the patient was literally crowning. It was like her second baby. She had gone from five to complete and pushing in like an hour, no No issues. The doctor came in as the baby's head was delivering cut an episiotomy. Mind you, I can probably count on one hand how many episiotomies I've seen. And I think I've done like 12 assignments. Like I can probably count on one hand because it's not common practice. Like there's research that shows like that's not necessary. You know, majority of the time. And my eyes were so big. And when we walked out The nurse who I was training with Cause it was like my first week I'm on orientation I said yo Why is she cutting episiotomy? Oh she do that to all her patients Excuse me what? Like the head was delivering She like that's just how it is That's how she is And I'm like oh, it's, wow. it's, it's so sad That you know a lot of these places Don't know any better Like if that's, that's how so you're trained crazy. If that's how you trained as the nurse That's all you see That's all you know, you know, that's, that's just what they do. I guess that's just how it goes. And I'm like, that's just, it's insane. It's insane. Like, I'm pretty sure I wrote it up. Like I'm more than sure I did. I was like, though, I got to be here for 13 weeks, but I just can't, I can't hold my tongue with that because for what reason, for what reason, you know? But I mean, that's just one example. They got stuff that happens everywhere. And I'm just like. No, I got to do something different because I can't keep coming to work and holding my tongue. Like, I got to do something different.
1: Yeah, you have to stand up for what's right. Yeah. And a lot of times patients, they're, I mean, it depends on your patient, you know, population. Um, I feel like at my current practice, I tend to get people, I get a lot of moms that are a little bit older, mm-hmm. um, you know, like in their mid to late 30s or mm-hmm. so some in their early 40s and they take a lot of time extensive research is being done on yeah. all these different things mm-hmm. um whenever they have to sign hospital consents you know when you're in labor yeah um we actually give them their consents at 28 weeks so they can read over it yeah and they come in with a list
0: yeah they and they should though questions.
1: And I was like, wow, I guess I'm not really used to working with, you know, women that put this much energy Mm -hmm. and um, and time, you know, learning about this stuff. I mean, it's awesome, you know, to be honest, but in other places I've worked, you know, they're just like, they show up, they just sign the paperwork, they don't even read it. They don't care about anything. They're like, just get my baby out and I'm going to go home. Like, that's it. And everyone's different. Different Mm -hmm. folks, different folks. There's nothing wrong with that but I'll tell you this, those women at um, my current practice, they read those consents. They're like, I don't consent to an episiotomy. And I mm-hmm. said, sweetie, I've never even done an episiotomy. Yeah. First of all, Same. I was like, we don't do them routine. We only use them in emergencies. Mm-hmm. Most Usually it's for like a shoulder disorder. Right. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's an emergency. I was like, we always ask you first. We don't just do it. Yep. We don't do blind episiotomies. I was like, that's a very outdated practice. Yeah. And it's unethical.
0: <laughs> it is very
1: unethical. Jeez. I do agree. And you know, I, w- I did a study abroad, um, and when I did a study abroad for midwifery school, mm-hmm. um, the place I went to, they were cutting routine episiotomies Ooh. on everyone. I said why, and they said, "Oh well, they can't feel it." You know, there's a lot of pressure down there. Mind you, these women did not have an epidural. Yeah. When she cut her, I literally like a piece of me died inside. I was mm-hmm. like, I just, I, I can't even watch. Like I was so shook. I actually yep. left the room. I started crying.
0: Yeah, I think that. Yes, it was bad. That's, I mean, I think that that kind of, I mean, and obviously there are are amazing, um, OBs. Like I don't ever want to make it sound like that. I'm just, you know. Shitting all obese because I'm not, but no, I feel I love like obese. right, and I feel like, but the way I feel like, I know how I was educated in Midwifery School. It's to look at the whole person. You're not just looking at the fact that you know you're trying to do this procedure that's right in front of you. This is a person, so you're cutting someone's vagina it's not that you're just cutting in a episiotomy and if you i think if you start to humanize certain situations you think twice about doing a lot of stuff would you want that done to you no so how exactly. do we find you know obviously in emergent situations obviously like just do the safest thing possible obviously but like situations where you just routinely do it Like just because just no, because what happens after that? I feel like studies have shown people have so much nerve damage after that now. And it's like, you know, everybody, our parents were getting episiotomies, you know, routinely. And, you know, what what repercussions did that, you know, lead to? So it's like, I don't know the way I feel like nurses have to stay up to date on their practices. I feel like OB has got to do the same. You can't just operate on what I did 20, 30 years ago because things change. Research update. Yeah. Yes.
1: They need to keep up. Everyone, midwives, OPs, Yeah. yeah. keep up with um, the latest practice. Yep. Because, I mean, I know for me and the midwives that I work with in my group, we're trying to minimize tears. Yeah. You know, and so we try to, you know, support the perineum and we mm-hmm. try to do things or maybe deliver in certain positions that, you know, would hopefully, you know, end up in less tearing. Right. The less you tear, the less stitches, you know, mm-hmm. we have to put in there. Sometimes, you know, people don't tear. Sometimes people tear with every baby they have. Yep. Everyone's body is different. Mm-hmm. And that is okay. But if you can reduce the amount of pain that the patient's going to be in after, mm-hmm. you know, I, wanted to, I want that for her. Yeah. I want to reduce it. I want her to go home. With, you know, minimal to no tears and, you know, be able to do her breastfeeding thing. And, you know, you already have a baby that's not sleeping well. Right, right. Sleep schedules all over the place. You know, you're feeding them on demand every two to three hours. You're having vaginal bleeding. There's already a lot going on. Mm -hmm. What I don't need to add is, you know additional pain by cutting an episiotic right i want this i want to send you home as happy and healthy without with doing just the minimal amount of stuff possible mm-hmm. same
0: girl well you know i could go on and on but
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, me too. but um that's all i have do you have anything you want to add
1: um, No, I don't think so. I think
0: we talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, thank definitely. You for so. me. Of course. Congratulations on your new role. <laughs> yes, thank
1: you, and congrats on yours.
0: Thank you. On yours.
1: I, I just did your paperwork earlier today. Oh, thank you. you. Yes, you're welcome. I'm excited for you to start. Me I think, too. Um, girl. By the time you are, you know, um, starting and all that, I'll be, I'm I'm coming off orientation uh, myself, Mm -hmm. um, actually, um, this month. Oh, nice. So, um, yes. So, I mean, I know I'm not the most experienced CNM out there, but I can definitely, as far as your orientation process goes, Mm -hmm. if you have any questions. Oh, I'm texting
0: you. I want you to know. Yes, Yes,
1: Please, because I could tell you exactly how mine went and we can compare each other. Yes. And if you feel that yours is lacking, you know, some things that maybe mine had, then you Mm -hmm. can tell them, hey, you know, my friend, she just finished her orientation as a brand new midwife and they did this, Mm -hmm. this, and this. Maybe we can do that for me too. Yeah. So that way you can make sure you're getting a good experience. Right.
0: Thank you, girl. I appreciate yes, it. You're welcome, girl.
1: <laughs>
0: thank you so much
1: for doing this with me.
0: Yes, thank you. Um, Thanks for having of me. Of course. All right. Well, have a good night, girl. Once again, thank you everybody for tuning in to Phases of the Womb podcast. We'll be back next Friday with a new episode. Make sure you're following Phases of the Womb on Instagram at underscore Phases of the Womb. Check out our Womb Wednesday for a sneak peek of our upcoming podcast this friday and i'll see you soon. Make sure you're liking, subscribing, leaving reviews, messaging me, let me know what you guys need. Bye.